0: McShane, Bible study, and we're going to do days 70 and 71 today, starting with Exodus 22 and 23. And at this point in Exodus, we start getting into the nitty-gritty of the law. And, uh, the, the only point I wanted to make in Exodus 22 is the the fierce protection God has for his people. And he, he talks about um, not... Not to mistreat others, he says, or my wrath will burn, and I will, I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. He's like, take this real seriously. Care for other people, and I picked this thread up in uh, X. Wow, that's interesting. It's uh, chapter twenty three, verse twenty three, and reading through twenty seven. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. So this... This is really important for us to know. If we are to be a part of God building his kingdom, because remember that it has always been God's plan. Remember what he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, rule and reign my creation for me. That has always been God's plan. He has not forgotten his plan and he has not changed his mind. And he offered the Israelite people as we've talked about a week or two ago, to make them a kingdom of priests and kings. That was the plan for the people of Israel, but they refused to go up the mountain. And so he gave them the law instead in order to point the way towards what, what the truth of his true people were supposed to be, knowing that they could not fulfill it. And... And again, even right here, he's gonna, he's gonna basically say fulfill this law, knowing that they couldn't, but giving them the opportunity, and knowing that he was gonna have to send Jesus in order for this way to be made possible. Which, well, um, you know, we're gonna get into the beginning of John, so John's gonna talk about that as well. Um, so here he talks about. As I clear this promised land from you, there are other ways. The people there of the world worship other things. They don't worship me. And so, as I clear this promised land, do not take up their ways. Stay set apart unto me and walk in my ways, not in their ways. And so when we know that the promised land represents the spiritual reality of the kingdom of heaven, then we know and we know the heavenly places. We know from the New Testament, from the teachings of Paul. Uh, I mean, Peter and John point to these things as well, but Paul's very explicit that there are principalities, rulers, authorities in these heavenly places, but that we are meant to take over these positions because Adam and Eve gave the keys to uh, the rulership of the earth of the third heaven to Satan and his kingdom of darkness and he made a Jesus made a way by taking that key back in order for mankind to fulfill God's purpose to overtake all of these positions of rulership and authority. And that we know that is God's plan. It's made uh, explicit multiple times in the scripture that the, the kingdom come on earth before the final return of Jesus. And so we see the picture here, the, the, the reason I'm bringing all this up, we need to grab hold of the importance because the scripture says this is going to happen in the end times, right? The end times doesn't mean when Jesus comes, it's the entire time building up to the, the return of Jesus. But we know, um, you know, God says to Jesus, as is quoted many times in the New Testament, but it comes from Psalm 110, um, Jesus, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Your, your volunteers will make themselves ready. They're, they'll volunteer. That's not a direct quote, but you can look it up. Um, that There will be many that will be about this work. So Jesus gives the grace for this work to come about through his people that voluntarily set themselves apart for his work so that uh, God can bring the kingdom about through them as they are obedient to him and his ways. And so as he's doing this, if we're the ones giving ourselves to him and his purposes, it's important that we take this message that God gave to Israel as they were to take the promised land. Don't take up their ways. Stay set apart. As I begin to advance you, because remember, they've been, they're being trained in the wilderness, but he, there's going to come a time when they begin to advance. And so as we begin to advance and God does these things, do we stay true to God? Or do we, as has happened many times in the past, be corrupted by the ways of the world once we begin to taste the goodness of God? It's. I think it's a really important lesson for us to know. And so, uh, backing up again to 24, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you, nor shall miscarry or be, no, sorry, none shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the peoples against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So this is the blessing and the promise he will provide for his people. He will make the way. It's his grace that accomplishes these things. None of us can do these things of our own strength. He must accomplish it, but he needs a people willing to give up their rights to the world, to their own life, and live for him, and he will bless us immeasurably if we simply give ourselves to him in this, his plan that has always been his plan. And then switching over to John 1 and 2, I'll pick it up in John 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he's saying, which is, you know, we talk about a lot, but God's purpose is that we become first his children, which is what we say here. As we get the blood of Christ, we have the right to become his children. We know, um, you know, Paul teaches very deeply on the matter that we are, but more than children, we are supposed to be raised up as mature sons of God. And so, of course, we have to be a baby before we can be a mature son, right? And so there's this process of growth that has to happen in order that we can be, um, you know, as the scripture says, that Jesus can be the first of many brothers, which brings me to the next verse, which I have a problem with ESV here. So just a, a little background on, um, uh, translations. Um, I like many at that time used to read the NIV and then in 2011 they changed it and they perverted some of the meanings in, in a lot of their changes. And so I still have a paper of, you know, NIV from before that that I use all the time. But, um, uh, the, the, the 2011 changed it and NIV decided no longer to sell the old version. So if you find any version of NIV like on a online, uh, it's going to be the new one, which is just wrong. Um, and, not, you know, of course, it's not I don't want to act like it's too horrible because you, the, the Lord can still teach you through it. But I, their changes were misguided. NASB did the same thing. That was, big, that was my favorite version for many years. I liked the NASB 1995 version, but in 2020 they changed it and some of their corrections or changes were just wrong. They're trying to, you know, these changes, they're trying to make it more user friendly or their appeal to people's politically correct natures or whatever. And they're, they're missing the meaning. They don't understand all the meaning. So they don't understand what they're losing through the changes they're making but the nas well the difference is what i like about when nasb did do is they kept nasb 95 available so you can still buy that you can still find it online the trick is you have to make sure you're getting nasb 95 what i'm doing this year is reading esv because it's probably maybe the next most readable version supposedly that i'm aware of. Uh, or excuse me, next most accurate word for word behind NASB 95. But this, this, they get wrong because they don't understand the full meaning of the promise of God. And so let's read it. 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So they even have a little note. They know they're not translating it quite right. And the little note says, or only one, or unique one. So they're aware they're not translating it perfectly. But that's still how, how, what the reader finds. So let's go to NSB 95. Verse 14, this is John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, well, that opens up the meaning. When we understand the rest of Scripture and we apply that understanding of what God's doing to this verse, then we see uh, that he is the only begotten from the Father, well, that makes sense. Okay, well, so he's not the only son of God. If he, that, that, that interpretation from the S V is just wrong. When, when we know from multiple other scriptures that we are to be raised up as mature sons of God, well, how can Jesus be the only son of God? Well, it doesn't say that. Just the translators wrote that in many scriptures. But the NSV says he's the only begotten from the Father. Okay, so he's the only begotten from the Father. How are we begotten? Well, we have to be begotten through Christ, right? We have to be redeemed through Jesus in order to enter this life that we can be a son of God. So that's that's a that's just so important. It's such a key fact of what God is doing that it's a shame when, it, unfortunately, the translators, many don't know this, and they have much more schooling in the scriptures. I can read Hebrew and Greek, and I can't do those things, but I can read the word and have the word uh, lightened up to me. I can be enlightened by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit, and know And point out, here's what the scriptures are saying. So if you put all this together, here is what the Lord is saying. And a bunch of seminary degrees does not give you understanding of what the Lord is saying. And hopefully that NASB 95 has made that clear. And now I'll go back to reading ESV. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So the grace of the Lord, what is the grace of the Lord? That gets confused with mercy that is the outworking of God's will in the world. And so from Jesus's fullness, the fullness of God in Jesus, we have received this working of God's will in our lives. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So th- the remember the law just pointed to to our need for Christ in the end, it pointed to the fact that we needed someone or something in in order to live the perfect way of God, and so God gave us Jesus and that grace and truth. The so truth, the truth. Everyone gets that word, uh, but grace we confuse with mercy. Grace is the working out of God's will. In the world and in our lives. So that becomes available to us through Jesus Christ. And again, I mean, John is so rich with meaning. I've, I've done this last year much more thoroughly, taking like a half hour for each chapter. So, you know, if you miss that, then that's there for you. I'm not doing that again. I'm just kind of pointing out what stands out to me. And in John 2 verse 10, uh, and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. It's a principle here. And we see this principle over and over in the scriptures that God is saving the best for last. Uh, you know, the prophets say that the, the, the latter rains will be greater than the first. Well, the first reigns were the time of Jesus and the early apostles' disciples. The latter reigns are supposed to be greater than that. The, uh, the second temple will be greater than the first temple. We know that didn't apply to the actual uh, temples in Jerusalem, but to the people of God who are the living stones of the temple. Well, the latter temple, the, la- the end times temple, is to be greater than the first. We see here... The best wine saved for the last. We know Jesus when he teaches about those who show up to the work late, they didn't work as long as the others, but they got paid the most per hour. This is principle that God is building and his grace is powerful and said the best is saved for last. This is a promise for us that if we give ourselves to him in his work, Mighty things are in store for us. It does mean dying to ourselves, dying to our own desires, dying to the ways of the world and the ways of the enemy and allowing the the Lord to work those things out of us. So this is not an easy path. Jesus says, count the cost. Are you willing to walk in this way? But here's the promise of God if we do and when we do. And then we move to Job 40 and 41 and still we're in the part where Uh, Well, at least at the very first, I just started reading uh, the very first part of Job, where the Lord is still speaking to Job. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. (laughs) So he's just finished this first speech to Job. Who dare you? Who do you think you are to, to even complain about the way I deal with things? And then Job answers, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no more. So he had a lot to say before God showed up, and now he's completely silenced. But God says, I'm not done with you. <laughs> Be ready here. I'm about to question you. You've been questioning me. I'm about to question you. And of course, you know, it's it's actually very poetic. I encourage you to read it if you're not reading along. But um, but he basically says, look, if, if you can do everything I can do, then then I will stand with you that you can save yourself. If you can't, then you need something more outside of you. In forty one nine, he says, behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the side. So I like that verse. The hope of a man is false. We hope in the wrong things. We hope in things of the world rather than things of the Lord until we're corrected by him and trained up by him mature beyond uh, One of either one of the world or a baby in the spirit to one who's mature in the spirit So I just finished job 41 which is interesting It's the second to last chapter and it seems like there's a lot still to go in the book of Job And I guess it all happens in that last chapter, but it's interesting. He's talking about this uh, You know this giant Leviathan right this giant beast and, and and How powerful it is and then at the very end he says he sees everything that is high He is king over all the sons of pride. So he's not king over the sons of God, but this this Leviathan is a picture of the world, of, of Satan's kingdom. This beast is king over all of those of the world. And then continuing on in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So this is what we were just talking about. Uh, in Exodus and in John, uh, if the promised land for us is a spiritual kingdom of heaven that we are intended to take over, we can see that pointed to here. Our weapons are not of the flesh. these are, We have spiritual weapons given to us, which is the life of God, the grace of God. And what is the purpose? To but have divine power, to destroy strongholds so we're supposed to destroy the strongholds of the enemy again not of our own power but being willing vessels for the lord's power to destroy the strongholds of the enemy so that we can take over this kingdom which i mean again he has to do it but we have to position ourselves set apart for him so that he can do it through us And so what do we need to do internally for ourselves? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So whether they come up in us or from other people, remember, he told us you have to destroy all these other people that live in the promised land and not go their way. Well, Paul's saying the exact same thing here. Whenever other people make arguments, or because we've heard them so many times, these arguments come up in our own head or in our own heart, and they're against the truth of God. He says we must destroy them. They're against the knowledge of God. We must take every thought like that in our own head captive to obey Christ. This is the calling of God. This is how to live as a set-apart person and as a group, as a set-apart people under the Lord, that we can be a kingdom of priests, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience, we're sorry, when your obedience is complete, so that we, we set ourselves apart, and we say, no, anything that is not in line with the truth of God, I, I will not have that in my own mind or in my own heart. So then look at Paul. Obviously, he's teaching these things. He understands all these things. Uh, And so verse eight, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. So he says, look, I'm not going to be ashamed of this truth of God. It might be. Difficult for you to take because it's the truth of God, and you have grown up being a son of Satan, right? That sounds harsh, but that's the truth of the word. When we're born of Adam, Adam gave over rulership to Satan. And so we have to come out of that life, we have to come out of that way of thinking. He says, Look, this is the truth. I am not going to be ashamed of it. God has given me the grace which is the authority to build you up into the truth. And I will stand firm in that. And Paul says, look, we're not comparing ourselves to these others that are trying to confuse you. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. He says, look, they, they, don't, they haven't even submitted their lives to the Lord. They're comparing, saying they're better than me or some other one. He says, they're, they, they have no understanding at all. Why do you listen to them? In 17 he says let the one who boasts boast in the Lord boast in the Lord's glory not in yourself 18 for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved but the one the Lord sorry but the one whom the Lord commends give your life to the Lord he will raise you up in due time when he has done the work in you where you're prepared for the power and authority that he has in store for you when you commend yourself and start trying to build your own great ministry, it's your own flesh. It's your own kingdom, not his. And look, just as I brought this back to Adam and Eve in in chapter 11, Paul does the same thing. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So these are Christians. These these Christians work in many signs and wonders, like they're Christians. God does miracles through them. you know we can't misunderstand that but he's saying you can be deceived by the enemy and so i'm trying to s- straighten you back out into sincere and pure devotion to christ don't be deceived he says in 14 even satan disguises himself as an angel of light and in 15 even his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness so be on guard he, he finishes the rest of this chapter just talking about everything he's done in the flesh. But he's going to sum up in the next chapter that it, none of it matters. It's God's life in the spirit that matters. People are impressed with what's going on in the flesh. And he says, look, I can point to all these things. I've, I've withstood and uh, stood up to and stood for in the spirit. But none of those things matter. What matters is what the Lord is doing in me. For those things I stand. And that is it for today. The Lord bless you.